Thanks for joining us for another inspiring message from Elevate Church in Perth, Australia. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app, available wherever you download your apps. As Karen said, this is a series we've called Things Jesus Never Said, and this is actually the fourth and final week. Let me just give you a recap, or if if you missed a week, or particularly those of you here for the first time this morning, let me kind of just quickly catch you up, very, very brief flyover of what we've covered in the the previous three weeks. We actually launched this series, uh, one of our friends, Lauren Carroll, uh, launched this series uh, with a message uh, that things Jesus never said, you don't have to forgive that person. Jesus never said that, and in fact, holding on to unforgiveness actually eats us alive from the inside out, and, and it was a great, great message. And I, one of the things that Lauren shared, which I'd never heard before, was the diagnostic that she runs to, to, to determine if she's forgiven somebody is whether that person has safe passage through her mind, whether when she thinks of that person that's, that's wronged her, that, that said you know, something uh, you know, that's, that's hurt her, whether when she thinks about that person now, whether that person has safe passage through her mind. That, that uh, diagnostic just was like, boom, for me personally. And I found myself through the week, and I, I took that on as my own personal homework. Uh, I ran some names through my mind. <laughs> and they did not have safe passage. And I thought that I'd forgiven them. No, this is just me, full disclosure. So, you know, I had the, the privilege, as you did, uh, many of you, of sitting and listening to that message. And, uh, you know, I'm often the one teaching, and it's great for me to be the one being able to sit and listen to the message, and I have to go and do the same homework that you all have to do. And I can tell you that if you do the homework, God works in the homework. And I'm like, dang, I came up with several people who, who didn't have safe passage in my mind, and I thought they did, because I thought I'd forgiven them. And I actually literally had to say, God, in this moment, I choose to forgive them. And I prayed that prayer and released them. And uh, it, was, it was fantastic. The, the second uh, week, uh, I told a message, things Jesus never said, go do whatever makes you happy. Do you know prisons around the world are full of people who thought they were just gonna go and do whatever makes them happy? Problem is, some of the things that make you happy aren't actually legal. <laughs> and you shouldn't do them. And God, Jesus actually isn't against happiness, though he promises something more. And then last week, we taught this idea that that Jesus never said you won't have bad days. And it sounds romantic that we follow Jesus and everything's paradise from that moment forward. It's not actually the promise. The promise isn't that we won't have bad days. The promise is we will have Jesus with us through every single day. And we just sang about peace and uh, He promises us a peace that surpasses understanding, that even when we're going through circumstances that we can't fully understand, that we have access to a peace in those circumstances, even if the circumstances themselves for a season don't change, that we could actually experience something different on the inside. 
So I want to land this series today and, and actually land the series with a message that's more important than the past three weeks of anything we've said to date. And in fact, not just more important than the past three weeks, but actually envelops the last three weeks and, and actually is the most important thing that Jesus ever said. I'm always a bit skip, skeptical with listicles. People like the top 10 this and the, the top five this and so on. I don't do listicles typically, but if I was to run a listicle of the top 10 things Jesus did say, this would be the, the number one. So listen up. I know I'm not sounding like my normal beautiful self, but uh, you'll, be all right. you'll be okay. Let me throw out a word that's hard to be ambivalent about. A word that when you hear it, it's hard to just go, meh. A word that's actually very uh, evocative. And here's the word, guilt. Now, I've thrown that around in the past. I jokingly say that my mother-in-law is a travel agent for guilt trips. And <laughs> she's overseas at the moment. I'll be fine. <laughs> I sent her there. Um, <laughs> worth every penny. <clears throat> A study was done last year in the US that the number one guilt was food guilt. The number one guilt that people felt was food guilt. Guilty about what you did eat that you shouldn't <laughs> and what you didn't eat that you should. Food guilt, it's a thing. Mum guilt. Mum's feeling guilty that they're not doing a good enough job. Working mums feeling like they should be home. Home mums feeling like they should be at work. Some of you silly enough to have friends with Pinterest pages and your Pinterest isn't Pinteresting enough. <laughs> There's obligation guilt. Like, oh, why did I say yes to that when I should have said no? Or why did I say no when I should have said yes? And we come away with ob obligation guilt. And there's even Jesus follower guilt. This thing that we know Jesus calls us to certain things. To, to do some, some things and to not do some things. And yet, even though we for our followers of Jesus and our faith is genuine, we still on occasion find ourselves not doing things we should do and still doing things that we know that we shouldn't do. And we have this kind of guilt. And guilt can actually make people sick. It can actually lead to mental uh, challenges and mental illness and actually make people physically sick. So what if I told you that Jesus actually said something that kind of reverses the curse of guilt? See, some guilt, you know, it's cause and effect. You did the crime, now you got to do the time. But what if that's not actually how God operates? What if Jesus had something better and said something better for you and I that would actually release us from the curse of guilt? So I want to take a deep dive into the, one of the final scenes. Well, it's actually the final scene before Jesus died. And if you've got our Elevate app, you can tap the Bible tile and it'll take you to Luke's account of Jesus' death on a cross. Now, those of you <laughs> that opened our app last week, and I told you where it would take you to and you discovered it didn't take you there. Most of our team was sick and uh, seemingly cross-eyed. So uh, the, uh, the Bible reference was put in by 
I said I didn't know how to type on a computer. And it was me, it was me, by the way. <laughs> She's like, that's not the Bible verse. Anyway, this week, it's correct. <laughs> and this scene of leading up to and including Jesus' death on the cross is actually in church world. It's kind of something that we might typically teach on Easter Sunday. And you think, today's not Easter Sunday. And I'm teaching this specifically because remembering what Jesus did on the cross isn't something we should just remember because culturally we pause once a year to consider and celebrate Easter, but actually something that we should have front and center as followers of Jesus. And I'm gonna let you know that some of what I'm gonna talk about is not PG. So those of you that are young or those of you that are a little bit soft, just let you know that. And it could be a familiar story. If you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, grew up in church, just be like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, death, yeah, cross, all that. I know it, I know it. Please don't let this, the, the, the actual events of Jesus' death become overly familiar, that it loses its impact. In fact, what I'll just unpack a little, you might be like, yeah, I knew that, yeah, I knew that. I'm just gonna give a glimpse to just how much Jesus the man went through for you and for me, and it's staggering. And then there might be some of you that have never heard this story before, and you may have seen people wearing the, the, the Jesus necklaces, or you maybe, you know, you went to a, a, a wedding in a Catholic church, and, and Jesus was still on the cross, just so you know, he, he got down, and, and he rose again, but I don't know, some churches haven't got the memo. Um, let's j- jump in there. This is what Luke recorded about Jesus final moments before he died. Two other men, both criminals. Jesus wasn't included. There was three people on the cross, but Jesus wasn't included in the criminals, just so you know. Were also led out with Jesus to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. So here we have a scene, this hilltop scene with three crosses and three men being put to death by crucifixion. And this act of crucifixion within the Roman Empire, the Romans did, like, they got really good at killing people. It's kind of like one of their superpowers. This thing of crucifixion was like the worst of the worst. It was actually reserved, it was so cruel, it was actually reserved for the worst of the worst criminals. In fact, we get the word excruciating. It comes from being killed on the cross. So you say, oh, I'm in excruciating pain. No, you're not. <laughs> not to compare to where you could be, but it's a, the fact that we use that word is a throwback to just how brutal this punishment of death on the cross was. And it wasn't just physically brutal. It was also very shameful. The, the, the person getting hung on the cross was stripped naked, um, typically the, the, the crime they committed was, was put on a plaque above their heads on the cross and they, and they just they had to hang there for everybody to see. See them naked, see them helpless, see what they'd done. It was, it was very, very, very shameful. And actually, the, the act of hanging them on the cross was, was, not, the, was not the whole story. In, in fact, the Romans, they, they, they really did get good at this. They actually developed a whole process to make the whole thing excruciating. 
It began with the, the, the person who was charged with the crime was going to be put on a cross, being stripped down naked and, and being, being whipped. It was called the scourging. And they would, uh, the, the Romans uh, developed these whips where they tied fragments of bone and, and rock in the strands. It wasn't just one whip, like, like on Toy Story. It was like different strands of leather with bones and, and, and stones tied in them so that when they would whip the, the, the individual, it would actually rip pieces of their flesh off them. And they would, and they would whip them. They would, they would whip them. The scourging would be 39 times. And, and the Romans were so good at this that they knew that 39 times would take that person right up to the point of death, but not actually kill them. So they didn't do it 40 with, with one exception. And pieces of flesh would come off and, and, and the person's organs would be exposed. Often they would lose so much blood that they would, they would pass out in that moment. And then they would be given their cross or at least a, a piece of the, of the wood of the cross and, and that individual would be required to carry it over to the place where they were going to be ultimately hung on the cross. And all of this was being done publicly when they were put on the cross, they had uh, like 15 centimeter stakes driven through their wrists and through their feet and, and then put on the cross. And they weren't dead in this moment. They could actually, uh, if they wanted a breath, they could actually push themselves up with their feet and, 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 and pull themselves up from the wrists and, and, and take a breath. And because they could do that, uh, some people would stay alive for between two to four days, often in this baking heat. Um, and, and actually as an act of mercy, if somebody was still alive after four days, the Roman soldiers would come by with, with clubs and actually break their legs so they could no longer push themselves up. And it was considered an act of mercy, so they would die very quickly rather than continue. Some people were known to have gone mad during this this uh, time of, of hanging on the cross, trying to suck in their, their last breaths. And so here we have this picture of Jesus, an innocent man, hanging next to two criminals who were anything but innocent, having gone through all of that, and they all three were still alive, but barely. And Luke records, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Like mocking, cynical. You know, no one does that anymore. But the other criminal rebuked the first criminal. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We're punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. <laughs> it's pretty insightful. That one of the two criminals realized, you know what? <laughs> we did the crime, now we're doing the time. And we have uh, phrases in our language that kind of paint that to be normative. In, in Aussie culture, we say things like, well, you know, what goes around comes around. Well, this one, oh, your past will come back to haunt you. Well, this one, oh, it's a really weird one. You made your bed, so you have to lie in it. Like, okay. But all of them mean the same thing, that we have this sense that, you know, the way it should be, the way justice is meant to work, is that we get 
what we deserve, and yet that's not something that Jesus said. Now, there are consequences to us doing dumb stuff. And some of the things that we've done upstream in our past, we may still be suffering and working through some of the consequences of them. And and some of that is a process. And some of that is gonna take time and hard work. And and, and some of that, 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 that's where the struggle is going to be. So, So understand that, okay? This is not magic wand stuff where some things that we've done, or even sadly, some things that were done to us don't have some knock-on effect. But there is a, a, something Jesus said that transcends that, and, and it's actually what we call the good news. I'll get to that in a moment. But this idea, we get what we deserve. Uh, a few years ago, I, I heard a story. It was an old Italian man migrated from Italy here to Australia many decades ago. And this was at a time uh, where things that Italian uh, men grew and Italian people ate, Aussies didn't know what it was. You know, when, when I, I married to one who, Louisa, her parents and grandparents on both sides were migrants to Australia. When they first came to Australia, the only place you could purchase olive oil was from the chemist. It was considered a medicine, not a food source. And, uh, you know, so things are very, very different back then. And Italians typically, they'd come from uh, small villages where they had sort of a subsistence lifestyle. And so it was normal to them when they came here, if they got some land, to actually not grow lawn because you can't eat lawn, to actually grow vegetables and fruit and so on on the property. And so they would have vegetables and fruit in the backyard and vegetables and fruit in the front yard. And this one older Italian gentleman was getting pretty annoyed because Aussies would go past and, and, and as they're going past would pick stuff from his plants in the front yard just to try it out. You know, I wonder what this is. <laughs> to try it out. He was getting very angry because it wasn't, it wasn't a community garden. This was, this was his food. And so he's like, I know what I'm going to do. Right out at the border, right out at the edge, right along the adjacent to the, the edge of the footpath, I'm going to plant those chilies that I brought out with me from Sicily. <laughs> And so he did, and they grew up, and he would sit in his lounge room looking through the Venetian blinds and watch these stupid Aussies go walking past and pick and and then be like, (laughs) and him in his lounge room would say, taranja, which is like a, it's like a a dialect word, but we would translate sucked in. (laughs) Because we don't typically say you'll get what you deserve. Us Aussies, we just say, Sucked in. And you've said it. Well, you've at least have thought it. You have. You've been, you've been reading the news report about the wealthy businessman who was found guilty of embezzling funds and he was getting shuffled off to jail and you thought to yourself, <laughs> sucked in. Maybe you're driving along doing the legal speed limit on the freeway and that car goes blowing past you 20 kilometers an hour above the speed limit and you just putter along, but three kilometers later, they get pulled over and you shuffle past them the speed limit and you think to yourself, <laughs> sucked in. Come on. Come on now. Amen. Yeah. I read uh, someone posted on Reddit uh, a short time ago. They were on a flight, and the flight had just touched down, and, and uh, when the flight touches down, you probably all know that the, the, the attendants will call over the, uh, 
The PA system, uh, passengers, uh, just to let you know, we've now landed into your destination city. If you'd please all like to remain seated, uh, wearing your seatbelt until the fasten, captain has turned off the fastened seatbelt sign. Thank you very much. Okay, some of you are familiar with that, and the, the, the light's up there. Well, in this particular flight, and it's not uncommon, before that light had gone off, before that uh, airplane had actually come to a stop at its gate, uh, a woman got up and she grabbed her luggage from the overhead luggage and started walking to the, the front and the attendants were saying, listen, ma'am, I need you to sit down. You need to sit down. The light's still on. It's not safe for the safety of all the passengers. Please, would you take a seat? And this woman refused and they were going back and forth, back and forth. And so when the, the plane fully stopped, the pilot didn't straight away turn off the seatbelt sign. He actually came out and grabbed the lady who had stood up and walked her to the front next to the cockpit and said to her, you need to stand here or else I'm going to hand you into the guards. He then turned off the fastened seatbelt sign, and he made that woman stand there whilst all 180 passengers walked past her on the way to disembark the plane. Now, don't tell me for a second, <laughs> if you were one of those 180 passengers, that as you walked past that lady, you wouldn't have at least thought to yourself, sucked in. <laughs> and we do. You got what you deserve. In fact, the only time we don't like someone getting what they deserve is when it's us. And then we don't say sucked in, we say, it's not fair. <laughs> and so this criminal went on to say to the other criminal, we're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And here's what Jesus didn't say. No. Sorry, mate. Sucked in. <laughs> you, you got, you're, going, you're getting what you deserve. In fact, what Jesus did say was this. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. <laughs> there is a, a concept in, in the church world called scandalous Grace. Now, grace is the idea that someone would offer you something that you didn't deserve, something good that you didn't deserve. Someone would forgive you even though you've actually done something wrong. It's grace. In the church world, when it comes from Jesus, it's actually escalated. It's often referred to as scandalous grace because it makes absolutely no sense. That in this moment, there's a criminal who's actually hanging on the cross. He's gone through the same ordeal as the other criminal and the same ordeal that Jesus went through. And he's actually acknowledging, we're getting what we deserve. He's not asking for the Roman guards to take him down, to be pardoned for the crimes, to be somehow you know, set free physically. He could do nothing. He couldn't do that for himself, but he didn't even ask for someone else to do that. But here's something else he couldn't do for himself. He couldn't get his life right with God in that moment because just like Jesus, he was hanging on a cross struggling to suck in his final breath. There's no, he couldn't start serving in his church, hoping that God would accept him. He couldn't start giving his first 10%, hoping that God, he could sort of like earn his way into heaven. 
He couldn't start, you know, volunteering at the local soup kitchen, hoping that God would give him two thumbs up and maybe a few sort of tickets (coughs) to paradise. He knew the only thing he could do in that moment was turn to Jesus and ask Jesus for a second chance. My life on this earth is over. I'm hanging on this cross. I can do nothing and I know it. And I know I deserve the punishment that the Romans have afforded me. I know that. And I'm not asking for a, for a free kick out of that. But Jesus, if you can, would you remember me when you enter paradise? And Jesus says, yeah, mate. You know what? I'm gonna give you what you don't deserve. I'm gonna offer you my forgiveness. I'm going to extend to you my grace. And I wasn't there. You weren't there. Luke doesn't really riff about it. But I have to wonder how scandalous that must have been to the other dude and even to any of the onlookers. Jesus, how is it that you can forgive that guy? You know that it's only the worst of the worst that even get up on that cross in the first place. And yet that's what makes it scandalous. It's scandalous because you and I, we've been conditioned to equate justice with vengeance. That justice equals people getting what they deserve. The scales got tipped one way because someone did something wrong. But if you can get them back or they can be gotten back, it's going to kind of level up the scales. And Jesus didn't try to level up the scales. He threw out the scales. And he he changed the metrics entirely. And, you know, you think, well, I've not really, you know, done anything worthy of being crucified. Yeah, but... Me neither. But just like the criminals hanging alongside Jesus, you couldn't get right with God in your own strength, and nor could I. No amount of good deeds, no dropping stacks, nothing that you and I could do, could have ever done, could have actually earned us having a relationship with God. It was only made possible by what Jesus did. And he made that possible for the criminal that turned to him, and he made that possible for you if you yourself have already turned to him and said, Jesus, I, I, I can't make it right, and I can't get right with God, but you can make me right with God. So I'm going to turn to you and, and, and ask for your forgiveness. And, and Jesus doesn't say to you and didn't say to you, well, no. <laughs> too bad, too sad. Sucked in. You're going to get what you deserve. He says, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to give to you that same scandalous grace that I offered to that criminal that was hanging next to me who turned to me. And if you've never turn to Jesus if, if for whatever reason, and, and maybe some of you haven't made that decision to turn to Jesus and say, please forgive me, because you don't even know what to think. 
So the church does a pretty good job of telling everyone else out there that God's mad at them instead of telling them that God's mad about them. Mad about them to an extent that he actually sent his son to die in their place. Wow, that's valuable. Really? He did that? Yeah. For me? Yeah. But doesn't he know what I did? Yeah. <laughs> he knows exactly what you did. <laughs> and that's why he sent Jesus. Because you couldn't make it right yourself. And if you've never made that decision to say, Jesus, I put my trust in you, I turn to you, forgive me, then I'm going to give you that opportunity right now to say, Jesus, will you forgive me? I'm going to make that decision to follow you. So for those of you that have never made that decision, and by the way, in a moment, we're going to show a slice of a story of one of our crew who's made that decision, and we're going to have the great opportunity to celebrate them getting baptized this morning which is their next step in publicly declaring that Jesus has forgiven them and offered them that scandalous grace that he offered the criminals. Very, very cool morning to be here. But if you've never turned to him and made that decision, how about you just slip your hand up and say, yeah, I'm ready to make that decision now. And then when I see your hand, I can say, you know, on behalf of Jesus, who'd be saying this to you himself, if he was physically here, your sins are forgiven. So just slip your hand up if you've never made that decision yet. And then you can put your hand down and, and I'll pray for you from up here. It's a privilege to play our part in all that God is doing in and through you. To find out what your next step could be or to partner with us to reach more and more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and download our Elevate Church AU app available wherever you download your apps.